and we won't all live, but uh, I don't know, maybe we won't all die. All right, Simon and Garfunkel. Desert Island pit. <laughs> Prince. I, uh... I'm still in Misfits. True school, man. Where are we going? Everybody and welcome to the 49th episode. This is the fear of God. With you every episode is myself, Nathan Rouse, uh, one of your co-hosts or one of your hosts. I don't know. We're not going to split hairs on that. Um, you know, typically with me is just college roommate, uh, best man from my wedding, just all around best guy general generally speaking um in jack nicholson era batman terms my number one guy if you will uh typically with me is reed you know co-host extraordinaire you guys know and love him as the survey king uh but he's he said something about he was working on getting his red laces i don't really know what that means i mean it's got kind of an ominous air to it um you know guys feel free um typically at the end of every episode we plug how you can contact us if you've got an idea of what that means you know just shoot it to me um i'd love to figure, i'd love to figure that out um but something about getting your red laces i mean clearly it's a shoe reference uh laces and shoes tend to be tend to go hand in hand if you will or hand in glove uh but in this case it's a shoe so it's like a foot in shoe um so <laughs> Reed, there you are, and I can't see your feet, so I don't know if you got red laces or not. Well, that was the most bizarre trip to Payless I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Or if you just got some slippers, you know? Oh, my God. You couldn't put me in the band, could you? You had to make me... No. One of the you could you couldn't put me one of the guys who's like playing the punk rock, you know, nope, like no, nope, I'm one of the nope. skinheads. You you jerk. are you, you jerk. are a Nazi. That's the worst. That's really that is, that's really that is the absolute I mean, this worst. This is this is really an intervention episode, Reed. I've been meaning to talk to you about, you know, some of your online habits these wow. days. Wow. Uh, no, but really, um, well, welcome <laughs> to the episode, the right? <laughs> right, right, right. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the episode. Today, we are talking about, if, you, if you're unclear yet, we are talking about the movie 
Green Room, which is about a band of theater pals putting on a play, and it's just kind of them hanging out before the play. You that know, is getting not, their lines, is, getting what, their lines together. What did you watch? That's not that's not the premise of Green Room. Did you did you magically like watch one of our old college videos or something? Yeah, and think that we were it. talking about that's that it. in Fear of God. Oh, I know. I kind of, I, I, truthfully, in truth, I kind of wished I had stumbled into that because <laughs> this movie is in places rather grisly. But no, we are getting. talking about the movie Green Room, featuring the last performance of Anton Yelton. Right? I mean, this was his last. It, it wasn't the last. Was, per- yeah, go no, ahead. It wasn't ahead. the last performance. It wasn't the last performance. What it was was the last film released before he passed away. So it was the last oh, film okay. that he got to see released, and then Star Trek Beyond came after that. Um, and I think right. he had, there was one other project that I want to say was maybe for television or, or maybe Netflix or something. There was one other project that was in the works when he passed away that will be released forthcoming. Uh, and that will be his official final performance. But yeah, so Green Room was the last, uh, last of his films that was released before he passed away. Very untimely death. Dude. Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time camping out on that, but I remember reading that and thinking, this is oh, awesome. it's terrible. Terrible. What a, what a dread. I mean, it's. This freak, you remember? It was like a car. Oh yeah, it was just like the jeep, and and the jeep rolled into it. Yeah, or and it was it, oh, it was it was the kind of thing as sensitively as we can can put it. It was the kind of thing where it really is, you know, kind of the definition of a freak accident because his his car was in his driveway. It the brake did not hold. It rolled back. It pinned him. And beyond Oof. beyond that, I don't know the details of of specifics or anything. Sure. But yeah, so tragic and and. All reports from people who had worked with him or who had had the privilege to, you know, partner alongside of him in film or any creative effort just had nothing but good things to say about it. Usually when someone dies, they have good things to say in general, but uh, particularly when they die young. But uh, everybody really sang praises about his graciousness, his creative energy, and uh, it really was a tremendous loss. And uh, yeah, it's it was a little bittersweet watching this movie. Because this was the first time that I'd seen right. it since uh, he had passed. I saw it shortly after it was it was released, and then this was the first time that I was watching it again. It's only my second time seeing it, but um, yeah, it, it it was it was quite tragic. It's always sad when they die so so out of nowhere like that. It's, it's right, really it's, uh, yeah, and, and 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 sincerely, you know, we can move on past this. But I think what makes it doubly tragic is it's not like he was to my understanding, some tortured soul or something, you know, it's not like a river Phoenix kind of scenario where you're like, well, it is sad and tragic and unfortunate, but not utterly surprising. This was truly just a really sad accidental sort of scenario. But, um, before we get too far down talking about the movie itself, I do believe you've got, a little bit of business to catch us up on. Is that correct? Sure have. Listeners may already be aware of this. You may have already taken it. But if you are not aware or if you have not taken it up on our Facebook page, on our Twitter account, which uh, as of this recording, I need to add it to Twitter. But uh, Facebook or Twitter, you will be able to go and find the official Hashtag I love the 90s voting survey. Um, It's pretty simple and straightforward. You click on the survey and each of the nominated films are broken down by year. You pick your favorites from each year, and then we have some math behind the scenes that'll tell us, based on your votes, 
what films rank the highest. It's uh, it's there's there's really, really there's cool. really there's really no math to it. It's just we've already we've already selected the list. Listen, it's, just, it's, already, <laughs> it's already decided. No, we we just draw we draw names out of it. <laughs> but uh, sincerely, so it's uh, it's going to be. I'm really excited. A couple of the votes that have already come in have already started to shake things up in some very interesting and exciting ways that uh, that make me really anxious to get to October. But you can go to either Facebook or Twitter to see that. If you are one of our listeners who do not have either a Facebook or a Twitter account, then email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com and we'll send you the survey. Mm. Pretty easy. Um, go to Facebook or Twitter, but if you do not have one of those accounts, email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com and we'll send you the survey that way. So the voting will be from now until about the 1st of September when we'll close it down, tally the results and ramp up for what expects to be uh you know, a really, really great October. That's going to be fun. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm already very curious and, uh, and excited for that series. Can't wait. Oh, man. That's going to be, it's going to be a very fun series. Um, there's a number of films on those entries, you know, the yearly entries that are on the survey that I, I am totally unfamiliar with. So it'll be interesting for myself to, to dive down that rabbit hole, that particular rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, in, in a particular bit of podcast business, I wanted to, um, throw an idea at you. So, you know, last week we featured a bit of an out of the box bit of content, bit of programming in, uh, stand by REM. That is and, not. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> no, no, it was Stan. Uh, we were covering two songs last week by Eminem, um, or Eminem. Um, both Stan and bad guy, um, seemed to be some really positive response to that episode. I found that one to be a very, I don't know, the content was surprisingly engaging. So I wanted to submit to you, Reed, um, ideas for future songs to cover. Um, I can't wait. Uh, just, 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 some um, a few I've been mulling. I've wanted to submit them to you for some time. I figure in the company of our friends that there's a little bit of safety in being able to do that here. One would be, uh, Nightmare on My Street by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, you know, let's, uh, on, on a on a on a scale of one to ten, how do you feel about covering Nightmare on My Street? I, I'm already at eleven. This one goes to eleven. You're there, see, let's, exactly let's Nightmare on My Street. Let's. Oh my gosh! So, have, you, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard that song? I have never heard that song. Oh, at it's all. a lot Just, of fun. G, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince are on my radar, but I have never been delighted by Nightmare sure, on My Street. Sure. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know the, the Monster Mash. Let's get the Monster Mash going. It's a grand old smash. We could have a whole episode on the Monster. <laughs> you want to this? <laughs> Oh man, this is, uh, <laughs> that, that I don't even have a response to because there's, exactly. there's a world in which I would try to make that work. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we should just do, you know, cause Stan and Eminem, I mean, Stan and Bad Guy have a very direct link to each other already, not just thematically, but of course the artist itself. But, you know, we should just do an all music episode. Yeah. I mean, we've been flirting, we've been flirting with a musical episode for some time now. Clearly, um, clearly we have. And so, and so we, should, we should just make all the content music based. Um, I'm down. And, 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 uh, and unrelated podcast news. So Comic-Con happened last week. Oh, it did. Yes. A lot of interesting stuff coming out of Comic-Con. Yes. So I've been a couple of times. One was around the time of your wedding, of which it is currently we're in the anniversary season of your wedding. Congratulations to you, my friend. Thank you very much. Uh, so Comic-Con is always fun because we get a lot of different attending Comic-Con is bonkers. Um, and, yeah. and on one, on one level, I find it fun and always intriguing to consider attempting. 
On the other hand, I like the fact that I can just sit at home uh, and absorb all the stuff that's coming online that they throw up onto the internet a day later. Yeah, exactly. But two two particular uh, contenders for most intriguing trailers that came out, uh, one of which was the Thor Ragnarok. I, Wasn't that yes. a lot of fun? Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah, I'm really excited for everything I've seen about Ragnarok because... You know, I'm 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 kind of meh on the Thor films. Like I don't I don't dislike sure, them. I sure. would watch them again, but but I'm kind of meh on them. They don't come to my mind when I think about my favorite moments in the MCU. Um but these look so great. They look so much fun. Well, it does feel like they've kind of cracked the code. I mean, mm. I don't know I don't know if Thor suffers from that kind of Superman idea of it's it's just kind of hard for a creator or writers or a group of writers to make him relatable or interesting right, right. but you know they have they have struggled with that with those first two films but this third one looks really strong oh it looks great the other switching gears the other um really fascinating for the sake of our typical conversations uh trailer that released was of course stranger things 2 oh my gosh that that trailer that i i could not even with that trailer i you i could not I, you could not even what i could not even tell me like you just could not even you fill in the blank. I just could not even <laughs> you, because whatever it was, it couldn't be done because, you know, I mean, like the trailers come down and I'll pull up the trailer on my phone. But if I'm home, which I usually wait to do this for like the big ones I'm excited about, if I'm home, I'll throw it to my TV. And so then, you know, I'm seeing it and I was already on board yeah. for the first like three, four seconds. But then when the, you know. I don't know if you want to what? tell everyone Talk about who, has, who listening to this show has right, not right, seen right. the Stranger Things trailer. So right. when Thriller started, oh yeah, 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 oh my dear lord, Nathan, I was just like, this is this is it's. I can't. I'm just. Um, they have impressively been able to toe the line between outright fan service yeah. and homage. Yeah, you know what I mean, like. There's a there's a thin line that they walk, but they but they stay on the right side of it, I think. Well, and I will I'll I'll adjust that a little bit. I think that they flat out break it sometimes, but I couldn't care less. They do it in such sure. a fun, okay. engaging way that. that I'm just like, yeah, there's there are people who'd be like, Oh, it's so much fan service. I'm like, who cares? I'm I'm a fan. Right. So serve me. Like I love it. Right, 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 right. Well, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't feel forced. It feels yeah. like it works. It feels like it's organic. Yeah. You know, you've got kids in the eighties. These are the things right. they would have been into. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to I'm gonna make a well, I'm not even gonna bother with that. I was gonna reference that in the Sandler movie, but they all suck, so why would I do that? <laughs> they don't all um, suck. So right. Well, well not ninety percent of them. Um <laughs> but um but speaking of Stranger Things, so we've got I Love the 90s coming down the line in October. That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. We're getting some audience participation. I uh, got some good response to that. That's going to be a very engaging series. But what we learned with Springtime for Shyamalan is we love the series here here at The Fear of God. We do. Um, you, and I, you and I have been brainstorming for some time a way to not just pull off series and, and in fun and engaging ways, but let's be honest, you and I have been talking about Stranger Things and whether and when and if we'll cover it right. for, since since season one premiered. Um, so we are going to announce today on this particular podcast episode, oh and we'll so never excited. announce it. We'll, we'll never announce it again, so no one will know, and then it'll, and then it'll just be upon them. Um, but so in October, we've got I Love the 90s, which you're all already aware of. Um, but in honor of this TV show we're talking about in November, we are going to be doing a series called Stranger Things Giving. Oh, uh, yes. Which we're, 
which we're very proud of. So we will be covering both seasons. Yep. Um, we'll do uh, four episodes of podcast featuring four episodes of show each. I am stoked. I can't, I'm I can't very wait, excited. man. I want it to be tomorrow. Dude, I am I know, so excited I for this. I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's going to be very fun. My wife and I were talking about having a little party where we have some friends over and try to binge watch the whole thing. We make waffles and we did like, oh, man, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Uh, So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, really excited for that. Uh, I I just I I can't I can't wait. Um, The one final thing that I'll say about like just speaking of trailers is I'm sure you saw it, but we also have a new trailer for it. Oh yes, I did. I saw it, and I saw the trailer for it Dude, too. I don't. I don't even know if I can handle it. I don't know if I can like that. Tra- that trailer's freaky. You know what's funny is um, I did. I was at the theater uh, about a week ago, and there was a trailer for it on it. Oh, maybe I went to see. It. So you saw it in the big screen? Oh man. Well, well, well. I saw one of the it trailers. So oh. then, just this week, when when listeners hear this episode, it will be last week. When this new trailer dropped, I thought, oh, it's just the one I just saw in the theater. But it was not. So, mm-hmm. I held off a couple of days until I realized, oh, it's a new one. Yeah. Uh, you, you nervous? We haven't talked about... Uh, maybe a little bit. All right. Um, All right. You know, we haven't talked much about the upcoming Stephen King films on the pod yet. But, you know, Dark Tower, we'll see. But know, um, yeah. the, the, jury's, the jury's a little out on that trailer. Love, love me some Idris. Mm-hmm. Really enjoy me some McConaughey. But... A little shaky on the trailer. Sure. Uh, that said, it trailer looks fantastic. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a little. I'm. A, I'm interested to know. Do you know? Is it confirmed? There's a follow up film that's the adult version. Is what? You know, it's funny because the internet is strangely nebulous about that point. But they there is. Because there's no adults in that trailer. I mean, that's not. Well, that does not seem to be what they're doing with this with this current film. Well, what what can be confirmed is that the so the, the this version of it will only cover the Losers Club. Like that's all it is. So I can only presume that they are planning to push forward with a part two with the right. adult version of that. But the, I don't know if that is documented, signed, planned filming right, right. or if they are waiting to see how this one performs to see whether or not they do that. What I can confirm is that this will just be the Losers Club. This will just be that. Right. Um, right. But I, I mean, there's every intention. Here's the other thing, though. I think that they're going to have no problem getting this film off the ground because I know people who, including my wife, I know people who do not watch horror films are not that into scary flicks that are going to go see this movie. My wife is going to go see this movie with me, which it, it just I just find amazing. But there's a lot of people, there's a lot of interest in it beyond just like hardcore fans. And I right. think I think a big sure. reason for it, two big reasons for it is I think that book was a blockbuster and yeah. yep. uh, you know, I I don't I wasn't a I wasn't old enough at the time that it was published to know how big of a deal it was in the publishing world, but I know just like over time, you know, it's it's praised as one of the two or three best Stephen King books period ever. Plus right. the miniseries with Tim Curry as Pennywise and that that was very popular. And that's a big draw sure. for my wife is because she loves that miniseries, so she's like I want to see what they do uh with this film. So I don't think that they're going to have any trouble getting the momentum to make the second film. Right. Uh right. it just we'll just have to see how it goes, but but yeah, I'm excited for it. I I think it looks fantastic. I think I think everything that I've seen in terms of the look of the film, I just couldn't be happier about. So we're excited for it. We're excited for Stranger Things Giving. 
Yep. You know, I, I, I believe at this point, Reed, I mean, like we could start talking about green room, but I mean, you know, it really is that part of the show where I just got to know, Riri. What you watching? What you watching? What you reading? What you reading? What you listening to? What you listening to? <laughs> there you go. I, I would say listeners don't know, but it's probably quite evident that we really don't plan how those are going to come nope. out one episode of the next. Nope. So, uh, nope, it's nope. true. It's all spontaneous. All spontaneity. <laughs> um, well, we're, so, yeah, Reed, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's your? So, so, in the interest of not belaboring too much before we get to Green Room, because we've already been chatting a while. Um, belabor, belabor. It's but, us. All right. It's all right. Them. All right. So, all right. Um, the, uh, so, my wife and I finally, I referenced this, I can't even remember the episode, but um, I referenced this several episodes ago it was in a thematic conversation i just brushed past uh referencing that the series existed so we have finished now start to finish uh the controversial provocative tv show for the netflix original 13 reasons why which is of course about um, a character who has committed suicide and then they have left 13 cassette tapes uh, one side for each person that they are holding responsible for them coming to this decision. It's a very controversial series, um, very provocative in a number of ways. We've now finished it, and I will say that for the about the first nine episodes, maybe even first ten episodes, I found about 23 reasons why I should stop watching it. It was so belabored. I was frustrated. I was, I had philosophical, ideological, I had creative problems with it. I was really, could not have been more sort of, felt more tedious to me to get through it. But I will say, in fairness, that the last three episodes are pretty strong. Now, I don't know if it completely flipped me. To where I would like recommend the series. I'd have some caveats, but the last three episodes. Was she was the character really alive the whole time? No, I wondered if that was going to happen. That is that is not the that case. would have been that would be awful. That would have been terrible. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't. I actually would have felt worse about that if that had been the case. I know. I, I know. I know. No, they just make a couple of they make a couple of of choices that do. They're a little surprising, and it's not like all of my ideological problems with it went away. If somebody is sort of you know wrestling with bullying, struggling with some of the things that the show brings up but then they stop watching the show you know after about four or five episodes and don't really hear where the show lands and how the show kind of concludes i still even have some problems with some of the elements of how the show concludes like there's there's some language that i'm kind of like bothered by we don't have to get into that because that's not what the episode's about but um it, it's it's one of those things where i am kind of of two minds about it and depending on you know the challenges that a person has i may you know, I, I don't know that I would recommend the show, but if somebody's very curious, I'm not in a place where I would completely tell them not to watch it because, like I said, the last three episodes are pretty strong. But uh, yeah, so that's what I've been. But don't you? But don't you? But this is a random interjection and criticism. Don't you kind of hate that though about the current Netflix model? It's like, well, there are 13 hour long episodes. The last three are strong. Right. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, well, so do I skip ahead and miss all the content or Absolutely. the context? Yeah. And that's one thing, like, like I will say this, I think that this show particularly, and Netflix has the freedom to do this. They did this with the OA. Like, the OA, the first episode is like an, an hour and 10 minutes long, and then there's an episode later in it that's only 30 minutes, you know? So, like, they can play around right. with formatting. They don't all have to be the same time frame. Um, I think 13 Reasons Why would have benefited great greatly from being like- Being like seven seven reasons why. Wow. No, 13 reasons is fine. But if the episodes were like 20 to 30 minutes until you get to the last where all the content's starting to build up, because they, they just 
there's so much padding in it. In an individual right. episode, there is so much, you know, uh, reciting and re-reciting the same sort of question marks and problems. And, and so it, that, that's one of the biggest detriments to the show, I think, is that they took so much time in those early episodes. If they had made it shorter, I think I probably would have liked it better and maybe would have made it tighter and more focused. But that's, that's beside the point. If you're, if you're really curious about the show, just be aware that it's, you know, it is graphic. Um, I will say that, you know, the, it does involve uh, a suicide. And I will say that the suicide is depicted and it is heart wrenching and graphic and was one of the most disturbing things that that I had seen in a while. So just just be aware of those precautions. But uh, yeah, it's that that's what I'm watching. So, OK, there well, it is. There you go. I've got I've got two answers here. Uh, one's going to lighten the mood and then one's going to take it real deep. Oh, great. Um, I know. I, I know. I know. <clears throat> that's how I roll. I know you've seen this and you and I. It occurred to me before we started recording, have not talked about it yet. Oh, boy. Um, so, since we last spoke on the record, uh, or on the recording devices for the people, you and I have seen Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh. Um, we haven't talked about it, you no. and I. Yeah. So, this is, this is live for the people, uh, us, us first debriefing this. Um, I had, in an unspoilery way, uh, told you a little bit of my input about the movie. What, what, what were your reactions? I loved it. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. I'm, I was realizing about halfway through it, though, I was saying to myself that I just love Spider-Man stories. I, yeah. I mean, like, I'm even, with the exception of the third Sam Raimi sure. version, I love them all. Like, I know a lot of people right. have problems with the Amazing Spider-Man iterations, but I loved them. I mean, like, I just, Those are strong. I just yep. love Spider-Man stories. So maybe I just kind of have too much affection to really be objective about it, which I'll own if that's the case. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was great. One of the things I loved about it is I did love how it seamlessly integrated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but not in such a way that I think people who hadn't seen those other films would be lost. Sure. But uh, I, I did love the fact that it is like a 15-year-old Peter Parker. He's right, in high school. Right. Um, a couple of things I missed. I missed... I missed that there wasn't really any sort of indication of like a spidey sense. Maybe they didn't need that, but you know, like there, there wasn't any sort of indication or call out. To right, it. Right, uh, right. The other thing is he didn't really feel as wisecracky as he had in some of the other films. You know, there were some funny moments, but they weren't because Peter was cracking a joke. And so like that was, those were the only two sort of little nitpicks, but otherwise I loved it. And I loved Michael Keaton as a vulture. I loved oh, that. He was great. He was one of my favorite parts well, of the to, movie. To to set the stage for some of my level of appreciation was I love how kind of hear me the context here, how low stakes the story was. Oh, sure. It wasn't the world is ending. The galaxy is exploding. Um, you know, it's simply low level kind of crime boss, if you will, versus Spider-Man. Right. Of. Right. Um, and so I really liked it from that standpoint, the, the bigger and broader uh, stakes can get kind of, exhausting um and yes keaton was fantastic I, I i came away from that movie thinking holy cow you made one of the most intense movies intense scenes in your movie the two leads in a car yeah like and the yep. and the car was not in motion let me rephrase that the car was not in motion nope they're just sitting there having a conversation and that and that was a great scene that is one of the most tense moments i've been in in any 
action film, any superhero film, that moment right there. And, and that's, that really is brilliant because they took the stakes where they needed to take them for that story. It was just really compelling. I, I liked it a lot. Well, and, and I don't know what your feeling was when this happened, but when he, when Keaton opens the door. Oh, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, everybody. Uh, if you haven't seen Spider-Man yet. Oh. But when Keaton opens the door, I love, and it's so hard to pull this off in this day and age. I love that moment as a viewer of confusion. Like, yeah. What? Wh- wait. What's? Cause, cause we're conditioned to think, oh my gosh, he's taken hostage his girlfriend right. and her family. Right. Whereas like, nope, it's not exactly that at all. Nope. You know, and so it was a very, uh, very potent, uh, script moment there. Yeah, I was, it was, I was sharp. very impressed with that. It was very sharp. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought Tom Holland was great. I'm with you. I was a big fan of the Amazing Spider-Man movies with um, uh, uh, Garfield, the cat. That is not the actor. Um, <laughs> what what a cra- what a crazy you know diversion that was. <laughs> Let's cast Garfield the cat as Spider-Man. He's all like, I could swing my web, but I'm just gonna sit here and eat this lasagna. Do you know you joke you joke about an anthropomorphic Spider-Man, but do you know that in Marvel lore there is a spider ham? That's the, whose alter ego is Peter Porker. Do you know this? That's a real thing. I'm not making that up for the episode. <laughs> I just can't. You know where it takes it's me just... is I thought Simpsons was the only one with Spider Pig. That's the only thing. You know, oh no! Like I wonder if that was referencing that. I don't know. Wow. Um. So yeah, Spider Man. Uh, thumbs up. I, I I greatly enjoyed it. I did have some creative quibbles, but we can you can ask me about those on on social media. Uh, my other what you're watching, reading, doing. Or what you're watching? Reading, wow. <laughs> um, all right, right, right. What you doing? That's just like the new one. That's what it's going to become. Hey, Reed, what you doing? <laughs> like, it's just, oh, well, I'm sitting. Yeah. I'm sitting and I'm talking. As, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, last thing, and it's a big one. Oh, boy. <clears throat> but I did just read. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I've been on a reading kick lately. Um, I did brief you on this a bit on the phone a couple of weeks ago, but um, I did just finish the book, <clears throat> Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Um, oh, subtitled yeah. he- uh, Hell, Heaven, and the New Jerusalem by uh, my new favorite, one of my new favorite thinkers, theologians, Mr. Brad Jersak. And man, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I-, I sent you a few secondary resources of his, but... Did I tell you that I had listened to them? No. Yeah. No. no. Yeah, I've heard them by now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I heard... Both. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit... It's a bit nuanced to go into right now, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for, for listeners, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut the Book sort of sort of outlines a sort of theological position of what he might call hopeful universalism um you know this this is a deep dive very quick and then we're going to hopeful come right inclusivism back up. yes inclusivism yes. thank you thank you for the correction yeah, no problem. Uh, of what he calls hopeful inclusivism and that's just the notion of how would you even describe that? <laughs> Just well, it's one of those things where you know he always balks against if you call him a universalist or if he gets called right. out for it. He always balks against. He's like, that is not what I am. What I am is optimistic that that there will be a place, and that as the title of the book said, that that her gates will never be shut. That the that there will yeah. always be a path to redemption. Um, and I'm I just took hours and hours and years of theological study and sure, pains sure. of research and, sound, and, sound and put it into a soundbite. That's not fair to him, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, just in, like, and, and I'll, I'll say without getting into any particulars, 
some of the some of the points that he raised, I would love to dialogue with him about because I would love to be like, well, what about this and what about this? But he's smart and he has clearly done his research and it doesn't mean he's right about everything, but he's got a very good handle on some good theological framework. And I think to dismiss some of the things that he's saying would be, you know, too, too easy to do. Or I shouldn't say easy. Yeah. I mean, like, it's too quick to just dismiss the points that right, he's raising right, right. Um, because he raised them in a very informed manner. Sure. And well, for me, <clears throat> last year I read his book uh, titled A More Christ-Like God, which actually released after Her Gates, um, and, and just fell absolutely in love with that, would consider it one of the tenets of my personal theology. And so then, uh, for anyone interested in his stuff, the book Her Gates Will Never Be Shut is a bit more, it, it skews pretty academic. I mean, it's it's a lot of just history and scriptural positions and historical positions on the concept of hell and, and all this sort of the doctrine of hell rather and all that sort of stuff. Um, I loved it. I, I love his conclusions in his own words and I'll own up. I'll, I'll cop them for myself. He says he gives you permission to hope. Um, and, and I, and, and sort of indicates that scripture gives you permission to hope for this particular type of theological framework. So yeah. anyway, um, her gates will never be shut by Brad Jersak. Great book. Uh, Spider-Man homecoming, strong movie. That is read. What you watching? Oh, what you watching? What you reading? What you reading? What you listening to? Boom, 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 boom. You're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> wow. Um, so, all right. So, well, speaking so of which, great episode, Reed. Yeah, great episode, it Reed. It's been good talking to you. How are we going to rank this conversation on uh, the David S. Pumpkins meter? Hey, speaking of David S. Pumpkins, we haven't talked about this. Oh, it, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He got nominated for an Emmy. He got nominated for he an got, Emmy. Because of us. Our boy. Isn't I know. It's because of it's our promotion of, of it. That's exactly. That's <laughs> the, the Emmy guys called me and I was like, yes, please. If we can, if, please, if, if you ever want to see us again, then please, yes, just put it in. And they were like, well, we can't miss your show. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I was so was happy to see that. That was really yes. fun. That was really That's fun. Beautiful. Um, anyway, yeah, enough, so, enough, enough diversions, enough rabbit trails. <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, you know, from all the singing, maybe we should be in uh, the ain't rights, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should call them up. Although I don't want to go on tour with them because things don't nope. tend to go, go well nope. when they go on tour. They go to some crazy places. So, um, if you're listening this far, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are talking about Jeremy Saulnier's, uh, if I'm saying his name correctly, it sounds French, but, um, Jeremy Saulnier's Green Room. I always like to point out, like, his last room, his last, uh, film was Blue Ruin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Tyler Smith at More Than One Lesson has a joke where he says his next film is going to be Orange Julius, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Well, you know, I, you joke, but I do think he's tapped for a remake of uh, Purple Rain. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. There you go. Just, <laughs> there you go. That's great. That's great. I, I'm actually just going to leave it at that. I can't top that joke. All right. Um, do it. Do it. But, uh, but, yeah, so, so Green Room, I saw uh, Blue Ruin, loved it. And so I was very interested in Green Room when it came out, particularly because Blue Ruin was more of like a crime thriller and Green Room was billed as sort of more specifically a horror film. It is still sort of in that thriller camp, but definitely is more horrific or more horror framed than uh, than Blue Ruin was. I don't know what what was your context. This was your first time seeing it, right? Me asking you to watch it for the show. It was. And I do think you could reframe this as what if my, maybe Funke 
Pavel Chekhov and Professor Charles Xavier walked into a uh, Nazi <laughs> nightclub together, you know, and here we are at Green Room. Um, uh, no, although I, I will say, like, it's interesting that you went with the tr- the, the X Men and the Star Trek instead of going both Star Trek because they're both, you know, it could be Captain Picard stalking. I know, I know but Chekhov. I was I was just mixing all the worlds together. Yeah, do it, do it. I'm just pulling um, from the Arrested Development multiverse. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had not seen this movie. I had seen Blue Ruin. It's been a couple years. I don't remember much about how I felt about Blue Ruin, um, other than tonally, this is very much in line with it. So it did yeah. not surprise me kind of where this movie goes which is a dark sad place um that's true you know i had not seen it i do you hear me i had not seen it not seen oh Mm. don't do that again um okay i'll try i'll try not to it may be hard to resist (laughs) um i was no i hadn't seen this movie before i knew it was getting some positive buzz and, and all that sort of stuff, not just for Yelchin's performance, but even Patrick Stewart playing a bit against type. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, For a late night solo viewing, I found it rather intriguing. Um, it is, it's heavy and it is dark. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it makes me, it makes me question the world I live in. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, so yes, it, it was enjoyable. In, in those contexts. Sure, me. sure. Um, um, what what I about actually, some trivial bits from you, Reed? Well, and we could actually probably just dive right into likes, dislikes, because I really don't have any trivial okay. bits other than, you know, the, 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 the fact that uh, when Patrick Stewart read the script that he was so disturbed by it he had to lock his doors and pour himself a uh, like a scotch <laughs> so that he could calm his nerves and uh wow. then after that he yeah i don't know if he contacted the director or his agent or whatever but he heavily pursued being able to play the role of darcy because he really wanted that challenge as an actor and so yeah i mean there's not a ton of trivial bits on this film it's pretty straightforward it's you know jeremy Solnier is a a a, a really Interesting up and coming director, somebody that we're going to be paying a lot of attention to uh, just because there are some people who say that this film is even better than Blue Ruin. I'm not in that camp, but I did like it a lot. And uh, I don't even know if you caught this because it was like a blink and you'll miss it moment. But do you know what Reese's nickname is? The character Reese? No. His nickname's Riri. <laughs> they call him that twice and I was like oh boy Riri's in That's this movie funny. and things don't go well for him but yeah I mean I don't have a ton of trivial bits we could get sort of right into likes dislikes and speaking of Patrick Stewart I mean his charisma and his presence when it's turned in this direction is truly frightening like it's he's not in the film that much but his presence looms so heavily over it it's 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 a really strong performance which I would have expected nothing less from him well i i I am not going to disagree with what you're expressing i will say there is this there was a slight measure of hype attached to this movie Ah, particularly related to his performance that hear me like he's he's patrick stewart uh i'm going to toot my own horn here real quick and say i've seen him live on broadway so i I am a fan i I, right right um i just did that um (laughs) you know i'm a fan i think he's fantastic he might i was randomly i was thinking about this the other day he might be in like my top five favorite actors oh it wouldn't surprise me yeah he's great and i think i was just knowing the hype attached to his being in this movie i think i expected a little more I don't know. I don't know what I expected. It wasn't quite what I got in terms of his performance, which is still good and strong, and it's him, right? Uh, just right. as a, a malevolent sort of guy. Um, but he doesn't 
he doesn't employ quite the level of like dynamism that I might have been expecting just because of the hype. Interesting. So, and I don't even disagree with that. I, it was very hype. And, and hear me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that's like the movie's fault. It's just sure. kind of marketing attached to it. Yeah. It was just very hyped for him to be playing a villain at all. I think there was probably a lot of expectation around it. Um, sure. Yeah. But, uh, but, and that's what I mean by like, you know, he's not in the movie that much i expected him to sort of sure. be more at the forefront of some of the violent things that was happening and he's he's not really he's just sort of more the puppet master right but i did i did find the performance to be strong at the same time oddly as it as it sounds it's not very unlike anything that he's ever done sure he's sure. he's just framed you know now he's instead of leading you know the enterprise crew he's leading skinheads and you know that right, but right. but he's still sort of doing and when they're like doing. should we kill him sir and he's like make it so <laughs> right you know i mean yes um and it's all right there uh, and in this film it would be more like make it effing so but uh yeah exactly exactly yes. that so uh yeah the only other sort of trivial bit that or not trivial bit uh the only other like really like dislike and listeners don't know this about me but when Sam, uh, you may know her as Cousin Maybe from Arrested Development, but when Sam calls out that her Desert Island band is going to be Simon and Garfunkel, I'm like, whoa! That's yeah. Right, that's one of my favorite groups. Like, those are my and people. And you have this, and you have this deep fear of death by dog mauling, you know? Why'd you got to tell right. everybody that? You know how many dogs are going to be standing outside my door now because no. of this? Oh, uh, uh, Riri? No. No. Wow. Wow. This is this episode is chock full. It's already off the rails. It's already listeners, off the rails. Listeners, listeners don't know our recording habits and that we recorded four in one sitting. So it's been a month. So we're just getting all of it out in this yep. one episode. Next week's going to be great. Next week's going to be yeah, much yeah. tighter. <laughs> or it's going to be like 10 minutes long because we're like, we said everything last week. Um, oh, that's funny. So uh, a couple of likes, dislikes on my part. I'll say one more. I'm, I'm hesitant to call it dislike. Then I'll say some likes. So, again, I'm hesitant to call this a dislike, but I will say uh, Anton Yelchin's character's arm getting eviscerated yep. is such an immediate and sudden and jarring stake razor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I don't know that the movie quite gets that again. I agree. Um, it's it's Which, again, like uh, is, is not really a... a Stating a problem with the movie so much, or the experience of watching the movie rather, um, as much as just saying like that is so jarring, mm -hmm. it is so grotesque, but so I'm going to use a word that would not often be used in these contexts. So tasteful on a certain level, it's 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 artful, yeah, artfully done. Um, that I just don't feel like the movie quite reaches that level again. Anyway, so that's a that's a mild, if we're going to call it a dislike, mild dislike. I loved. The orchestral backing to their song at the show. You know, oh, that, yeah. The old, when their song fades out and it's yeah, got something else into it. Yeah. yeah, that was very artful. Like, honestly, I did not know the story of the movie. I, I didn't hmm. know anything. Yeah. Um, other than Patrick Stewart plays a bad guy and Anton Yelchin, you know, and bad stuff probably happens. But what I thought during that moment of the orchestral element overplaying theirs was this feels like a eulogy. Mm. Like in my head, I was just like, man, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is not going to yeah. go well for these people. Yeah. Um, and so it was a really, it, it, it was a, it was a deft move creatively because it doesn't, it's not foreshadowing per se, you right, know, it's not right. like, 
text. It's not, it's not screenplay foreshadowing. Sure. Um, it's simply kind of using some of your filmmaking elements. The other, uh, really big like I do have for it, similar to Blue Ruin, is I love the unvarnished realism of it. Um, mm-hmm. these, the, the band characters, these are not just like heroes who are going to save the day for each other. Right. These aren't. Right. These aren't masters of destiny who are going to suddenly come into their own sure. under under great extraordinary circumstances. They are just a bunch of dumb teenagers who wander into the lion's mouth. Yeah, well, and, and get eaten. And <laughs> yes, and that's that's one of the things that he he seems to be doing as a director because he has he has a film that I have not seen called Murder Party. I haven't seen it, but I know that it deals with sort of a similar. Sounds fun. <laughs> well, it deals with a sort of a similar gimmick in that in in Blue Ruin. One of the things I love about Blue Ruin is it's like, okay, well, what if somebody's trying to take revenge and they're just not good at this? They're just ter- they're terrible right, at doing right. this thing, and that's one of the things I really love and appreciate. Calling back to an earlier conversation that we had on the show uh, that listeners may have forgotten by now. My first viewing of 28 Days Later, I didn't love 28 Days Later. I had one big major complaint with it that then went away with further viewings. So the the uh, one of the things that I was complaining about the first time that I was watching it is like this guy's an accountant and suddenly at the end of the film he's Rambo. Like by the when when uh the character gosh the actor's name is escaping me, the star of 28 Days Later. Um Oh, Killian Killian, Killian Murphy. Murphy yeah. yeah. So when Killian Murphy who is this just everyday Joe but at the end of the film, he like is is totally stealthing his way through right, the labyrinth, right, right. and and that was, I mean, it was a little bit of a nitpick, and that's why I say like further viewings, it didn't bother me as bad, and and I let that go. But that was one of my big complaints the first time I saw it. In general, I don't like that when somebody. I have no problem with mm-hmm. Liam Neeson taking thing like, hey, I have special ops experience, and now I'm coming after you. I got no problem with that. What I got a problem with is you're an average everyday Joe and it makes it so clear throughout the film that you're an average everyday Joe, but then suddenly the stakes get raised and now you're Rambo. What I love about both Blue Ruin and this film is, like you said, there's a realism to it, but the characters respond in ways that I could see somebody responding. Like, you know, there's there's at least two characters that like when they make their big break, like, oh, now this is the moment when they're going to get and and then just die. Like, that's it. Like, they, they, right, they, they right. you know, they break through the door. Here we go. And then they're just dead. They're just gone. And, and it's something that feels a lot more like something that might actually happen, which is sure. a, a big like for me. I really appreciate that he infuses that understanding into his narrative. Right. Um, and it raises the stakes for Well, me. and to, to your point, um, this phrase just came to me that, and I, I, I've got to admit, it's been such a long time since I've seen Blue Ruin. I don't remember much about the plot of it, but for Green Room specifically, there's a way in which it feels like, especially Anton Yelchin and I don't know the actress's name, who's the character that's with him at the end, but, um. Her name is Imogen Poots. And I think it's hysterical <laughs> that. Yeah, Imogen is such a unique name. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Imogen is so unique. <laughs> Her character's name, though, is Amber. Okay. Well, that, I love how it's like, I've got the most unique name on the planet. Yep. I'm going to have a character name that's the most straightforward on the planet. Yep. Um, so, when Amber and Anton are um, together, like, there's this way in which it feels like they're figuring survival out. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They are not survivors. Like, the, the scene when the, um, the two Nazis are, whatever they are, are coming after them in the in the uh basement the ba- sort of yeah in the cellar thing where one of them's upstairs and the other's down yeah yeah well there's this very much kind of 
back and forth learning curve that Anton and Imogen or Yelchin and Poots, if we want to go that route. <laughs> Yelchin and Poots. There's a <laughs> yeah, band you for know, you. Yeah, Yelchin and Poots, man. I love that album. Imogen again, again. Wow. But there's a very much a sense in which they're figuring it out in, right, in a way right. that's very, uh, very hazardous to their own survival oh yeah um so yeah i I, i'm with you i really enjoy that aspect of it and that that heightens the that that's really like the scares that i have are pertaining to that level of tension there's a couple of jump scares i also had anton yelchin's arm uh getting eviscerated Uh, also when the character daniel is about to reveal the big he he's the one who originally you think is on the bad guy's side but then it turns out that he's actually going to leave he was going to leave with right, the girl who right. got killed that he was going to be a traitor to the you know skinhead cause and then he's like yeah but we have something i know where they keep i know where they keep and oh, then, yeah. before yeah, he can even yeah. get the words out like shotgun blast to the face and i was like oh <laughs> what right. in the world so um there's a couple of like little jump moments in there but in general the scares are all revolving around they really do a great job of establishing very high stakes very early on. I didn't think any of them were making it out. I didn't think any of them were going to survive. And it was... Uh, well, especially especially because of the almost casual nature of how they get dispatched. Sure. I yeah, mean, of course. this movie is not... That's what I meant a minute ago about... I think I used the word artful or tasteful. Like, even the dog mauling scenes, it's gross and it's uh, it's, you know, a bit stomach churning. But the way it's shot is not gratuitous whatsoever. No, I agree. You know? Yeah. It's, a, it's and so as re- tasteful as that could be. Right, if right. If you're going to have that in there and have it be realistic. But to your point about the, the casual nature of them getting dispatched one by one, especially with how easy they are being done so. Yeah. It, it, part of me was like, I don't know who's making it out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really could have seen it going either way. And even when at the end... Again, uh, we could harp on this for another 10 minutes, but uh, even at the end when Yelchin's character kind of comes into his own and and does what in another film would have been his big Rambo moment, like literally right. shaves his head and puts on war paint and does all this other stuff, like that would have literally been the Rambo moment. Even then, there's still kind of a clunkiness to it. There, even then, there's still, like you talked about, they're figuring out survival. There's still this, there's still this element that I never, for, I never once disbelieve that the sequence of events that happened could have happened that common sure, ordinary sure. people could have experienced this thing to the also to the degree and this is something that the first time around i was let down by but this time around i appreciate it all the more because it's in this same bucket to the degree that when uh yelchin and imogen arrive at the scene where the bad guys are trying to where they're trying to stage the uh, you know and blame the band for everything that happened so right, when they arrive right. i remember thinking like wow they got the drop on the bad guys like pretty easily and i remember thinking the first time around like wow that was you know they just dispatched with these bad guys very easily and quickly but again getting to it it's like none of the people who are doing this are terribly good at this it's not right, that they're right. trained seasoned killers they're, they you know they're just sort of clunking their way through it even the villains you know which which again the second time around i appreciated so much more i'm like yeah wow they they totally just because the good guys had the upper hand and they had the element of surprise and they dispatched with the bad guys and we're done like that's the, you know that's it so right, so yeah right. just that is a major win, I think, for the entire film overall. And I appreciated that a lot more the second time around than I did going into it beforehand. 
that's that's really all I had for for scares. So the, uh, let me- yeah, the the only the only thing I had was just all I wrote was Anton's arm. Yeah, poor guy, man. That like his hand like barely dangling. Uh, it's just oh, oh yeah. And I remember thinking how smart. So I remember thinking two things: how smart to like duct tape up his arm because I'm like, well, now it's not going anywhere. Like now, like it, it, it's it's period. He may not be able to use it because nerves and whatever. Right. But but now, like it's not going anywhere. It's not going <laughs> to. That's gonna that's gonna be the read like a guide to medicine, nerves and whatever. Like that's your <laughs> you book. Know, you nerves just, you and just titled. <laughs> I got a, you know, I got a tummy ache. Should I take Advil or aspirin? It's like, oh, no, no, nerves or whatever. Duct tape. (laughs) Duct tape will fix it. Um, But, you know, like, so, so when that, when they put duct tape all around his arm, I was like, okay, well, now the wounds are not going to get any worse. But then I was thinking, dear Lord, when he gets to the hospital, they're going to have to put him to sleep because getting that off of his arm when he's got these open sores and everything, I'm just like, oh, dear Lord. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, that is a, that is gruesome. And the film in, in general is very violent. Uh, I don't, I don't know if we've really explicitly stated that on this show, but when she, when Poots guts the big guy. Oh yeah, you just know, like one big box disgusting. cutter up the up the front. Uh, oh. Yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's, it's, it's a, like she's then she's like, oh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Oh, that is a different <laughs> movie. That is a different and movie. She, and then she shoves Anton Yeltsin into him. That. <laughs> I just want to thank you and apologize to the listeners for the visual <laughs> that we all have now. Of poor Anton Yelchin getting shoved yeah, into shoved. the belly of this with his with his no. floppy arm hanging out. No, 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 no. We're gonna. I don't even. All right, in the spirit of that. Oh, in the spirit the- of that, are we gonna go into themes in the spirit of that? Um, nerves, nerves, and whatever. Uh, nerves, nerves and whatever. whatever. Um. So yeah. So um. We can. I'll. Uh, so I'll. I'll go ahead and lead with uh, themes. The um. I've never really been much into the punk thing. I love music and I love a wide variety of music, but one sort of sub genre of music that's never really appealed to me on, on barely any level is, is like the punk scene. I have a lot of respect for bands like the Stooges. Um, I even like quite a few songs by the Ramones. Um, but like when you get into punk music, I'm just not very much a fan of, of that style. I never connected much with the movement, with the attitude, with the style of music. Uh, I can appreciate and can understand and have even seen like some documentaries and some, uh, had some little conversations where I do understand the appeal and I, and I, I feel like I kind of get it, but it's just never connected with me personally. But one of the things that I was thinking about is, so, you know, the, the first song that they play before their set gets orchestral or whatever, the, the first song that they play. Nasty, nasty Punks or whatever it's called. Uh, Nasty Punks F Off. Um, Nazi Punk. Yeah, so it's, oh, yeah, so it's Nazi. Yeah, so it's Nazi Punks F Off. And that's actually a song by a band called the Dead Kennedys. And so yeah, I'm the. I'm familiar with them. So. They are covering this song by the Dead Kennedys, but of course, because the room's full of Nazis, they're. It's making them mad. Right. Um, but there's a line in the song that I thought was really interesting. And it is a like, you probably have to have the subtitles on to, to hear it if you didn't know about this already. Um, but there's a line that says that punk is thinking for yourself. So that's one of the things that they're saying about, right. uh, you know, about the, the Nazis is like, hey, right. punk is supposed to be thinking for yourself, having your own mind, having your own uh, connection. And, and related to that, the film sparks these these thoughts in me about the idea of rebellion against establishment 
you know, like, and one of the things that I specifically thought about when I was watching this is, is I thought this is interesting how sometimes in an effort to rebel against the established order of things, you can, if not diligent in this area, create a different sort of equal and opposite reaction establishment order. That then has to be adhered to. And, you know, there's so many places that we could go with this, but I think about how it is possible that the pendulum can swing too far the other direction. So in an effort to kick back against those in power, as it were, it is possible, I think, to have this this movement or this subset of thing that you have that is then going to cause a new established order to be created that is just simply counter to the current establishment in power, but is no right. less rigid, is no less demanding of conformity of its members, is right, no right. less is no less uh, objectifying of its people, just maybe framed in a different way, it, or is no more tolerant of contrary thought in in its ranks. Sure. Um, and so that was just that that was really my major sort of theme is just this idea of when. When we rebel, if we do not rebel against the, and I shouldn't say rebel, I'll, I'll, I'll say resist because there, that's, that's the language right now about, you know, speaking right, truth right. to power and, and, and going against the established order that when we resist, if we resist in such a way to where we begin to use the tactics of our enemies, but just framed for our purposes and goals, for our intentions, well, then we're really not doing anything but continuing the continuing the war to go on. Right. We have to do something if we want to. I think if we want to exact change, we're going to have to do something dramatically different. We're going to have to something, do something something punk. Like is basically that, something punk. Is that, is that I've been wondering why you've got the mohawk going on. Like that's <laughs> it makes it makes perfect. It sense inspired now. me. I'm glad you like it. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean that we've got to do something that is. It, it just doesn't follow fighting fire with fire, or like the tactics of the enemy. Like you, you've got sure. to, you've got You're, to be completely framed differently. Think about the situation differently. Um, yes. And I don't know if I don't know if the. The point sort of makes sense on its own, or if you need me to unpack it a little further, but that's really the main thing that this film drew up in me. And I love, I'll say as a final button to this and then throw it to you, that I love the inclusion of that Desert Island Band question, because they tag in on it in the very near beginning of the film. Right. Then it's not thought about until they're about to go out and do battle with these skinheads. Right, right, And then it's not called out again until the final moment of the movie. And... And, and which I love the final line of the movie, you know, like tell somebody who gives a, you know, I, I, I loved that. Right, right, right. Um, but it's very punk. It is very punk. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to start saying nerves or whatever. It's yeah. very punk, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> but I loved the inclusion of that because there was this moment and I'll I'll say this. I know I said I was just going to toss it right to you. This will only take me a second to unpack. So when they're asked that question in the beginning of the movie, they start trying to name punk bands. They start trying to like, oh, it's uh, right, I'll, I'll right. go with uh, the Misfits, oh, or the Damned, oh, uh, the Misfits, right. or, you know, whatever, you know. So they're starting to try right. to find what the right answer is. Oh, I'm going to give you this sure, one. Sure. I'm going to do this one. What's the right answer? And then I love it when the character Sam, as they're walking out, she's like, "Screw it, Desert Island Band, Simon and Garfunkel." Like that's yeah. that's who I. And then Reese is, is like, the real, yeah, right, right. And Reese is like, "Mine's Prince." 
You know, like, yeah, and I'm just like, yeah. oh my gosh, that was, that was a great moment. It was a wonderful moment because I'm sitting here. I'm like, yes, because now, because now you're you. Now you're talking about right. what really drives you, what we really think about creatively when you're alone in the room, when you're by yourself. Now, now we're dealing with you. This is who you are. And I love that, you know, Yelchin still can't think of one. We never get to find out who his desert island band is, which I still kind of love. But I loved the inclusion of that because that is the, the most anti establishment that you can be is to be your individual you. person yep. to be you yep. that's the most to anti-establishment that, yep. <laughs> yeah that's the most anti-establishment you can be is to simply and bringing it into like a religious framework i know that sometimes religion in general can be very criticized and in some cases very rightfully and appropriately so for you know driving towards conformity driving towards unanimity where everybody is doing things in the same way using the same language the same methodology but i've always been drawn and i've said this elsewhere on the show one of my landmark one of the bible verses that are the most important and vital to me are the verses that talk about the diversity within the body where sure. a hand can't say to a foot i don't need you and i can't say to an ear i don't need you like we're all part of the body but we all form very specific purposes very specific uh frameworks different sensitivities different intentions all of these all of these things that culminate together in this massive forward moving body of christ and that's something that as a as a person as a human being is very important to me and so i appreciated that about this film uh, and thinking about it in this whole punk conversation, this anti-establishment kind of conversation, and that's where, yeah, that's where I, that's where I appreciate that. That's uh, that's the, the new. You're gonna just adopt the moniker Riri and just be like, I'm Riri. That's right. I'm punk. I'm gonna, yeah, and evidently lower my voice by three octaves. Yes, that's exactly what. Yeah. I'm punk. Um. No, I really. I really, I really dig what you're putting down because, and actually, I was scared for a minute there that you were about to just start spouting my theme. You, ah. brushed, up, <laughs> you brushed up close to it, but I'll, I'll go someplace to build on what you're saying. So, it is weird. It is a truly weird thing that we currently live in a culture where the tenets of I guess you'd say neo-Nazism are in the, in the zeitgeist. Yeah. And, 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 and all, it is not socially acceptable, quote unquote, but it is flirting with at least popularity. You know what I mean? Mm. And so what, what is fascinating about this movie is, I mean, the movie clearly intends these guys to be bad, right. bad guys. Right. And, and that's okay by me. But I like what you're saying about setting this sort of Nazism, this sort of neo-Nazism, sort of skinheadism, however we want to label it, against the notion of punk rock. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, my, I, I don't know that I would have any outright affection for punk bands, but that sort of philosophy, that sort of, you know, thinking for oneself, rebelling against the status quo, rebelling right. against, you know, the, the, the middle finger to the establishment, mm -hmm. which is funny because this sort of skinhead ideology is, is ostensibly supposed to be that. Right. And yet really becomes its own kind of monolith. Right. Yes. Um, and it's interesting, like, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, throw a tiny pebble in the water of one theme and then move on to the deeper one. I loved um, 
I loved Yelchin's line when they come upon Patrick Stewart and the goons towards the end of the film, and he says, "You were so scary at night." Oh yeah, that's a great line. That's such a that is a great line. Um, But you you inspired a particular strain of thought, and so I'm going to try to figure out if I can weave that into where I'm going. But but I'll, I'll lay out some of my thematic stuff too. So something that really struck me actually round about that same scene inspired this theme was Yelchin is surprised when Poots, uh, and I, you know, I'm being silly, but no, that's know, when, when Am- the Amber character shoots the bad guy. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's surprised and he's, and his line is, we're doing that mm-hmm. question mark. Yep. And she says, well, we didn't walk all the way here. The implication being not to, not to follow through. Yep. Right. And and what I wrote down thematically was, do we become the monster to defeat the monster? Mm, and and I mean this this is this is putting a, a punctuation mark or at least um, emboldening sort of I think what you were scratching at, like what happens when you do start to fight fire with fire? Like yeah. what do what do we become? And and where this took me, I'm gonna I'm gonna unplug from the content of the movie while still tracking with the thematic stuff. So there was a, there is a popular blogger in the sort of progressive, progressive Christian movement, which I would more or less categorize myself as more or less, <laughs> um, who, who probably about a year and a half ago, if you'd said this guy's name, I'm not going to use his name because I'm going to get to a uh, place of, of different than maybe just pure promoting. Um, where if you'd said his name, I'd be like, yeah, that guy, like, yes, we are solidarity. We are progressive brothers in Christ, that sort of idea. Right. And man, he has exploded on the blogosphere. I mean, celebrity retweets, or at least minor celebrities, you know, Oh yeah. People, people whose names you'd recognize. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And there is a way in which he'll blog every now and then. And I love it. I love the things he has to say, but something happens when your rise is that meteoric, that that energy becomes intoxicating. Mm-hmm. And to, to draw a real clear line here, he is unquestionably sort of anti the current administration, like, you know, just un, unabashedly, unapologetically, which, you know, anyone listening to this for three weeks in a row, would be like, well, Nathan, you're sort of that too, but I'm getting right, somewhere with right, this right, right. rabbit trail. And so, so, so once, you know, there's, there's, and, and the internet is weird like this these days, you know, you start typing out a few thoughts and it starts glomming on with people. And then suddenly uh, minor celebrity A and B read what you write and start retweeting you. And suddenly you're on a much higher platform and then you've got to write more, but you've got to write more that's in line or further down the dial than what you already were writing right. to further, to further cement yourself as the person saying the things that these people think are thinking. So, you know, it becomes this weird snake eating its tail kind of idea. Right. Becomes very intoxicating. Such that this particular blogger guy, um, he's got a book coming out. I might read the book. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm not completely dismissing him. But the level of absolutism he speaks with these days has mm-hmm. become very heavy. Yeah. And very noticeable. Mm-hmm. And I'll I will speak for myself. This may come as remarkable to even you, Reed, but I only say about half the things on social media that really come into my spirit and heart and mind right, and right. mouth and want to come out of my mouth in the form of posting and things like that. Right. 
And the only reason I say half of the things that online is because it's a drug <laughs> and yeah, it is. And it's addictive and it's dangerous. And this seems like a rabbit trail, but my point is this blogger guy has become sort of to, to piggyback on where you were going. He's almost become the thing he's railing against. Yeah. Like, yeah. Speaking, speaking in absolutes, giving, giving inclusivism or, or rather excluding in the name of including. And it's interesting. There was this. Are you familiar with Seth Godin? I will say his name. Yeah. I, in fact, I'm reading one of his. I, I didn't put this in watch and read and listening to, but uh, I uh, have uh, cracked open his book Tribes that I'm looking forward to reading. Cool. Uh, well, I've actually not read any of his stuff. I, I'm familiar with him and know he's rather respected. Well, a a local peer had retweeted or posted on Facebook one of Godin's blog posts. And the title just, just arrested my spirit. And the title of the post was, he deserves it, but do you? Mm. Wow. And I just knew, I knew what this was going to say. Yeah. And I went and read it for myself. And basically he's saying, the person you are so angry at yep. deserves all the things you think and feel and want to say. Yep. But do you need to burden yourself with saying, mm -hmm. do you need to bear the weight? of animus and anger against them. And right. hear me, I am in no measure stating that this is easy. Right. But you know what it made me think of, Reed? It made me think of Let Me In. I'm trying to tie this back into the movie. It made me think of Let Me In. So tying back into this idea of do we become a monster to defeat a monster? Right. Let Me In, this, the viewing we did for the podcast was different than the viewing I had initially because the viewing we did for the podcast was potent and challenging for me because it sort of put me in this position of like, what would you do if your kid or if a, or if a kid came to you, but you know, personalizing it with your own kid, describing the events of what's happening to that young man in that movie. Yeah. Like, like how do you respond to that? Right. And this, this movie green room, Pip tying it all back in here. Like, man, I don't know. Yeah. I am, I am challenged and scared by, Scared's a strong word. I am challenged because I watch what Yelchin and Amber go through and do in retaliation and in return. Right. And there are no, hear me. I think in the world that exists right now in this country, and people will turn us off maybe after I say this, there are few more easy villains than Donald Trump. Mm. He is a jackass and is undeserving of the position he holds. And I don't even mean that from an electoral politics standpoint. I mean purely from a character integrity standpoint. No, I hear you. But what happens when I become the arbiter of his downfall? Like right. when I make it when I make it my crusade. Now hear me. Anyone who's listened to this again for a few episodes knows I won't hesitate to take a shot because I do think it's merited. Um, but but I am measured in how much energy I spend doing that and, and, and investing in this idea. And, and this movie challenges me because I watch what happens to these characters. And I think I would want to survive. Yeah. I get it. I get the impulse, but I think the Yelchin character is right to, to have a question mark the whole time and say, I just don't know, you know, like we got it. We, I want to survive. I want to live. I want to see the next day. But, but what does that mean? in the face of in this movie as it is in the real world what does it mean in the face of actual 
violence against you and threat right. against you. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I know that seems maybe circuitous and, 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 and a bit labyrinthine to get to, but it just really kind of stirred up some of that, like in the face of actual real literal threats to your person. Sure. Sure. Well, and it, <laughs> you know, and, and to your way of life and to your lifestyle and, and you know, how, how I think I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it's, no, it's you're fine. Up, you know, of, of, you know, how, how tightly do we hold what we know and what we have? Right. I think is sort of the question. Sure. And I think too, at some point, and it's something that I have said before about my, the way that I speak about scripture, because I used to be the guy who would defend scripture left and right. Well, that's the word of God. Well, that's this. And, right, and, and I would right. be, I would be the guy who would go to intellectual combat with you about like, well, this scripture, that scripture. I hold deep convictions. It, it still grates on me when people say like that the scriptures contradict themselves and that, uh, th- there are certain sort of trigger buttons or trigger sure, statements sure. that people could make that something rises in me that I want to say like, so let's sit down for a second and I'd like to point a few things out to you or blah, 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 blah. A little bit of that is intellectual snobbery on my part. But one of the reasons that I don't specifically is because I came to a realization. I want to say nine, 10 years ago, maybe, maybe it wasn't even that long, but I came to a realization where I say, wait, the, the scriptures don't need my help. Like I need theirs. I need their help. Mm. The scriptures don't need me to stand up, rise up and defend them. I need them. And what I mean by that in response to what you're saying is I think there can be a way in which our constructs become what we lean upon. Like if I don't have this, I don't have anything. Sure. If I'm not a dyed in the wool liberal Democrat, I'm not anything. If I'm not a die, if I'm not a diehard conservative Bible toting, you know, gun yielding Republican, I'm not anything. I'm not, I'm not anything. If I'm not a, you know, evangelical fundamentalist Christian, I'm not anything. If I'm not punk, I'm not anything. If I'm not this, then if I'm not this. And, and so I think that there can be a way where we lose ourselves into the construct, into the platform that we have put forth for ourselves. Nice Eminem reference, by the way. (laughs) There you go. But, one of the things that, so I'll bring in the scripture possibly as, uh, as a way to wind down, but also because I'm, this feeds into what I'm going with this. So the scripture that I had for this, I initially thought, man, I'm going to have to do some explanation about this, but it, it feels right in line with what we've been talking about. Isaiah chapter 30, verses one through three. It says this, it says, woe to the obstinate children. Now, obstinate there could mean rebellious. Sometimes it's translated rebellion. Sometimes it's translated obstinance, but Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. What I mean from that, Coming out of that and connecting it back to this scripture is I lo- it, it, it echoed around in my heart just so profoundly this carrying out plans that are not mine, forming alliances, right, but right, not by my right. spirit, going down to Egypt without consulting me. It's like, well, at a certain point, we really kind of I know that the word of God says this. I know the Bible says this. I know that Christians are supposed to do this. But at a certain point, you know, we need to live in America. And at a certain point, we need to blah, blah, blah. You know, like that, that kind of logic. At a certain point, this other thing is for a moment, for a season, this other thing is more important. For a moment, sure. for a season. Uh, oh, we th- and, and by the way, if, if listeners can't tell, I'm calling that out as wrong. I'm calling that sure. idea out as wrong. 
when you say like, yes, I know we're supposed to be this. I know we're supposed to do this, but uh, this is more important right now. To which I would say, you're just like the enemy. You're doing, right. you're doing simply from the opposite spectrum exactly what there is nothing in my way of thinking there is nothing that the enemy would love more than for some to be on the left for some to be on the right but them to sound just like each other with the same right, attitude right, with the same right, deceptions right. with the same illusions and myths and methodologies but just one person's touting for this the other person's touting for that and everybody's divided that is what I believe in my theological construct that the enemy would desire for the church and for people to be in, rather than in a posture of reconciliation where we come together and say, hey, I kind of see it a little bit more this way. You kind of see it a little bit more that way. What can we do by, you know, come now and let us reason together. What can sure, we sure. discuss and what can we get to that's going to, you know, formulate the common goal? Now, tying it very explicitly back into Green Room is... If punk is really thinking for yourself, then there's no mandate on what punk means. Like, sure, right, I, right, I remember right, right. I remember hearing this about. Do you know the band? You know the band Green Day, which is a punk band. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they had a song called "Time of." It's called "Good Riddance," but it's called "Time of Your Life." Is how most people know right, it. Right, uh, right. A very you know acoustic, very soft key, low key song. Yeah. And I remember in the deep, deep distant recesses of my memory banks. I remember an interview that the man, oh gosh, listeners are going to hate me, but I cannot recall the lead singer's name, Billy Joe something. Billy Joe Armstrong. Oh, Billy Joe Armstrong. So Billy Joe Armstrong had done an interview and they were like, I'm yeah, punk, Reed, by the uh, way. there you go. <laughs> Clearly you are. But he had done an interview and they said, you know, why would you do a song like that? And he said, I'm punk. In that moment, that's the most punk thing I can do is to put a low key acoustic ballad on my, my that's punk awesome. album. That's awesome. And, and I was like, Hey, that's because that's it. It's it's about I'm going to operate in the system that is the truest uniformity to how I'm designed, to how I'm framed. Now, that doesn't mean that you hold the keys of truth and that you, you know, that you, there's you right, can't be right, challenged. Right, 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 I'm not saying right. any of that. I'm talking about understand yourself, know yourself, know how you were framed, know what you are about. And if you're a Christian if you're framed towards that, then seek the Lord for his desire specific to you and and stop trying to be all of the other things that you see other people sure. being. Stop trying sure. to be that other movement. Just be that. It's like I've told people countless times, yeah, sure, we can, you know, praise or escalate the megachurch pastors or we can praise and escalate the people who are feeding the homeless in Africa. We can praise and escalate all of that. But if you have a gift for accounting – and you feel like you're no less valuable to the kingdom. You're no less valuable sure, sure, than sure. by simply doing what it is that you're framed to do. And if that's punk, then maybe he's called us all to be punks because the bottom line is that there is no person there's that the Lord is not a respecter of persons. He ministered to the people who were in the lowly states, the people who were outcasts. And then he also shared John 316 with a Pharisee. You know, yes, he right. ridiculed the Pharisees right. forever, right. and he called out the Pharisees and the religious elite, but it was to a Pharisee that he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's what he was all about, is just about dealing with the person. And if we want to really be anti-establishment, if we really want to be kingdom-minded, that's how we have to frame ourselves. Look at the person, look at ourselves, and recognize the individual diversity that makes up the body, not try to make everybody like everybody else. Mic drop. 
not that that's really a mic drop moment, but I'm done. Like, I'm spent. Well, and also what's funny is listeners don't know you're actually holding a mic in your hand. That's true. You did not yes. drop it. I actually. didn't drop so, it. So, um, that's so very, that's very punk of you to say <laughs> to an say establishment drop phrase and not drop my mic. And yeah. Not, yeah exactly. exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think we've kind of set our piece on, on this subject. Uh, unless you had anything really burning or further to add, I think we can, can end it there and go into David S. Pumpkins if you'd, if you'd like to. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I feel some things. You feel I don't some quite things. Know how to articulate it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're they're there. The conversation could continue. Well, we have been um, going for a while. We have for quite a while. <laughs> no you can pressure. Feel, you can you can feel free to chop up some of that first hour. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I, as a button for myself personally, like this is so hard. This is to me the narrow way or part of it is you just don't realize when you are monolithing people. Right. You know, like, right. Like, and it is so easy to do it. It is so easy to become it, you know, and, and punk and, or Jesus calls us to always be searching for that searching for and operating in that third way Yeah, that says, you know, it's not right it's, or left, it's center. It's not, um, it, it is above your options. Um, it is an option. The, the kingdom version of things is the option you haven't even thought of yet. Right. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, man, it's just, yeah, I think, I think that, uh, I, I like your, I like your punk, your, that, that framework that works. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. So, I'm, we're going to punks for Jesus. <laughs> Nerves are I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for Jesus. I'm sure that was done around the ska mania era back in the late nineties. Uh, I would so. not be surprised. Um, CCM, but uh, uh, yes, let's dive right into the Emmy nominated, Emmy nominated David S. Pumpkin. That's right. So, um, as we do with every film we discuss here, we do um, rate the films we discuss on a metric of our own choosing, that of David S. Pumpkins, um, in three particular categories. That being style, scares, and substance. So, Reed, for yes. yourself, Green Room, how would you rate on the zero through five David S. Pumpkin scale the style of Green Room for you? So, I'm going to give it a three and a half. It's a really well-constructed film. I know three and a half is not a bad rating, but I feel the need to say, like, hey, I enjoyed this film a lot. But uh, I think we've touched on earlier on couple of sort of much much earlier on yeah much earlier on um some sort of like dings or disappointments that i had disappointments not the right word but things that sort of ding down at style a little bit three and a half is where i land i'm going to echo your three and a half on style um for me in scares i mean i'll be frank i'm gonna go with two and a half um okay there is there is nothing bad about it in terms of the scare factor i do think that two and a half might be Two, two of that two and a half is the, is the arm shredding. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the rest is just kind of a, a relatively more straightforward, just kind of violent thriller. Sure. Um, I'm not going to go too much higher than you. I'm going to go with three for scares. Gotcha. I think it's very I think it's a very tense film, but it's it's not the kind that's going to really I don't the things I like about it. I don't like for its scares. So, yeah. I'm, sure. Yeah. Three for me. 
And then and what uh, about substance for, for you? substance? Uh, this was a tough one for me because as we can, as you can tell, it sparked quite a few things that I really admired a lot. But as we've differentiated before, some of that is what, I, what we bring to the film and some of it's the text of the film itself. In this case, I think it's more sort of what I brought to it. Uh, so I'm going to land on three and a half for substance as well. Um, I was going to do three and a half, but it looks like I'm just copying you. Um, so I'll do it anyway. Cause that's punk. <laughs> to make it look like I'm not going to copy you and then to copy you. That's right. So I'm going to go three and a half. On, I'm going to go three and a half on substance as well. Um, yep. All right. So that brings us to the fact that we give Green Room official Fear of God David S. Pumpkins rating six and a half out of ten. David S. Pumpkins. It's not too shabby. That's not a that's not a shabby rating at all. Uh, and it's a good movie. I, sometimes good I, movie. I feel like. Um, the rating does a little bit of disservice to the movie itself. The movie's strong. It's worth, it's easily worth a viewing. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I don't think any of that is reflective of disliking the movie itself. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So six and a half out of 10, David S. Pumpkins. See Green Room if you can stomach the violence, because it's definitely got quite a bit in there to think about. And uh, and then or, or just be punk and not see it. You know, just listen to us <laughs> first and then to talk about it. You know, be punk nerves or whatever. So, um, yeah. So uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. And you can continue this conversation and a variety of others in a number of ways. Easiest and fastest ways to reach out to us on Twitter. Nathan. What is our Twitter handle? Our Twitter handle read is at the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook. You can post there or comment on one of our posts. There's a link to that through Twitter. Um, you can also email us fear of God podcast at gmail.com. If you do not have Facebook or Twitter to take the hashtag, I love the nineties voting survey, then please email us. Fear of God podcast at gmail.com. But um, you can also go to more than one lesson.com and leave a comment on one of our posts there. Uh, or you could uh, go to iTunes, leave us a review, or you could, uh, I don't know, just give us the finger and move on with your life. That would be very punk. That'd be punk. That'd, That'd be, be very punk, punk to do that. That'd be very um, punk. Please don't, please don't do that. Um, but <laughs> but uh, all of that silliness we are aside. Tar- we are far too sensitive to be punk. <laughs> That's true. Um, all that silliness aside, I'm on Twitter at Reed Lackey. Nathan, where are you on Twitter? At the Nathan Rouse. And we would love to hear from you. We've got some great listeners. We've already had some great conversations. Uh, We adore you all, and we thank you very much for listening. Uh, Nathan, thanks so much for having this conversation with me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. We look forward to hearing from you guys, and we will be with you next week, Reed, as we discuss... Sadly, because of the passing of George Romero, but delightfully because of the film... We're going to be talking about the night of the living dead. More on that next week. We'll see you then, guys. See you then. You know, in this conversation, long and winding though it has been, that uh, you named the actress Imogen Poots, and you also referenced Green Day, whose album of most notoriety was Dookie. So, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're just kind of hitting all of it, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. What's our number two going to um, be? So, um, <laughs> so, um, wow.